In this week's episode, T gets hella salty over King and Black, Chris explains the need for more lasting impacts from crossovers, and Modoc is a weirdo. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back. Hey, welcome back. We hope everybody had a fun and happy Thanksgiving holiday. Plenty of food and plenty of family and plenty of safe safe tidings. Safe numbers and Skype meals and stuff like that. And outdoor seating. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is cover B, and we're gonna talk about some comics. The first comic we're gonna talk about leaves T a little bit on the salty side of things. <laughs> Okay. For literally one thing. Excuse for literally me just I... one thing. You hear that? That's me opening my tea. And I'm going to take a sip. Mm-hmm. Now. Excuse me, Mr. Cates. Okay, so before she does this, spoiler alerts for the king in black, yeah. number one. So this is the king in black. Excuse me, Mr. Cates. It is highly offensive that just to prove a point... You literally ripped in half the strongest character in the Marvel Universe. Excuse me. Oh, really? Hyperion died? See, now you're just being a contrarian. Bruce Banner died? Galactus. Icarus? Galactus is not strong. Magus. Galact no, stop it. He just ripped apart Sentry for no reason. My poor Bobbykins had been off doing his own nonsense. Mm -hmm. He had just merged with the void in ultimate glory of ready to just poop all over Earth and send them back to business because they'd been rude to him. They didn't trust him. They uh -huh. were inconsiderate to him. Uh -huh. And then he comes back to help. He uh -huh. didn't have to come back to help, but he came back to help. And so then Kate's in a super edgelordy move is like, hey, I'm going to rip him in half because that makes sense. I am offended. It's so for those of you interested, the actual episode is going to start right here. So this week uh, we had two big events happen. Um, the first one, one from Marvel, one from Justice League, things that they've been uh, hyping up for a while uh, one a considerable amount longer than the other, and that one is King and Black number yes. one. Uh, spinning out of the Venom books and various other things, uh, Thor and whatnot, uh, King and Black tells the story of Noel finally making his the Arrival. end of his journey across the galaxy as he's been snuffing out planets and entire solar systems. Uh, and he's finally at Earth, and he is bad news for the Earth heroes. It's true. I'm... I feel better now. I can talk about this with a level head. Okay. It was very cool. Um, <laughs> admittedly, coming into um I, I haven't I've been reading Thor, but I never read any of the Venom stuff. Yeah. So I don't have I've a lot of I've been reading context. Venom, but I haven't read any of the Thor. Well, there so. you go. So I have a lot of context. I like I don't have a ton of context for what Null is and his relationship to Eddie Brock and all these things, but it's a really cool perspective because I feel like in so many instances, um, these big crossover events don't get taken that seriously by the heroes themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, certain ones do, eventually. Like, War of the Realms started off as kind of like a... And then got like, oh, God, this is really actually bad. And like turns yeah. into like a thing. Yeah. But I feel like so frequently we come in and in the very beginning, it's like, 
it'll be fine. We fought stuff before. But this one comes in like, okay, we need to prepare thyselves. We have a plan. We have goals. We have team leads. Yeah. We need to take this really seriously. Yeah. We need to be hyper vigilant. And I feel like that's cool because it makes Null feel really scary. Which, yeah, he needs to be, right? Like, they've been hyping this thing for freaking two years now. Right. Um, Venom number three is when we first got our full, like, taste of Null. Um, and that was back in 2018. Yeah. And then we had the whole, like, Absolute Carnage thing kick off, which was, like, the real, like, prequel to the King in Black. It was when Carnage collected all these symbiote codexes so that he could reach out and contact the King in Black and all this stuff. It uh, it has been so hyped. Donny Cates has been putting King and Black everywhere. You know, Noel pops up in Silver Surfer Black, and you know, there's mentions of Noel throughout all these different books and War all this of stuff. The Realms War of the Realms mentions it, and it's just it's everywhere. It's all over the place. Noel is everywhere. Noel is coming, and we've heard that over and over and over again for two years. So that said. We have had one death, as was mentioned. The first book goes about the same that the first book of these big crossover events tend to go. Everything is just shit. The guys have plans going into it. It doesn't seem to work. They get overpowered. That's where we typically leave off first issues of these kind of things. You know yes. what I mean? Um, I mean, hell, the first issue of War of the Realms resulted in Earth being completely taken over by yeah. the forces of... Like, they literally divvied it up, and they're like, here, you get the Amazon, and you get Africa, and you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you get the eastern seaboard and stuff. So they literally, like, they won in the first book of War of the Realms. And honestly, War of the Realms, for me, is one of the more, like, it's simultaneously exactly what I want out of a crossover event and exactly what I don't want out of a crossover event. Yeah. Because it was really traumatic and big things were happening and it had ripples that kind of like were felt throughout books for a while Like you would run into this person and they're like still cleaning up like giants that are left over. But the event's not going on anymore. It's just like, oh, hey, here's elves that are still here, Yeah, you know, um, but it also didn't Do amount to anything. Yeah. You know, uh, Jane Foster became Valkyrie and Thor, you know, got. Mjolnir back and became the Allfather and that you know those are significant changes but that's it you know what I mean like that's all and it doesn't actively really affect the rest of the Marvel Universe it yeah. kind of ref affects them in very isolated ways I just I understand the Hickman way of approaching stuff I understand this concept of like you gotta put your toys back in the box yep you know but sometimes it's good to get some new toys and sometimes it's okay to lose a toy so that you can enjoy the other toys that maybe you don't play with as much i feel like while you respect the hickman way of thinking you're more of a bendis in the well way yeah that he like is not afraid to i respect <laughs> the way the hickman way of thinking but you can't do that every single time yeah. or people just get fatigued with crossovers they i've talked so and marvel has been hammering the crossover events lately yeah and 90 percent of people i talk to are like what do you think about this king and black thing i'm like i read the first issue it seems like it's gonna be really intense and we always come to the same conversation where they're just like i don't know because i'm just so tired of crossovers i'm so tired of big events we just had x of swords 
you know, we just had Empire and yeah, everything got delayed because of COVID, but like, it just feels like it's event to event to event to event to event to event and none of them matter. Empire did nothing. Empire did literally nothing. The only thing that it did <laughs> was it had a, had She-Hulk resurrected. It had She-Hulk resurrected. Um, and and um, Abigail's def- defection. Yeah, yeah. It introduced the idea of immortal She-Hulk, and it, which is the first time She-Hulk's been involved in that whole gamma people are immortal thing, which is a cool touch. I would like to see her get more involved in the immortal Hulk stuff because I think she'd be a nice player in that. Because um, there's a lot happening in immortal Hulk. Um, and then yes, yeah, Sword is now going to become a thing. You know. Which can I go? Abigail Brand's pissed about Alpha Flight not getting involved and all that. So it's it's again, it's like a couple things. You can tell there are writers at Marvel that are like, hey, I'd really like to write this character this way. And so Marvel's like, ah, we'll figure out a way to work that into the next crossover event. Yeah. The crossover events always just feel like a way to let some big budget writer have the character they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's X of Swords was that way. Like Apocalypse is now gone. And uh, Sword is now back in the picture. And there's all these like hangabout characters. Like some characters are that from Araco are now on Earth. And some characters, you know, on Earth are dead, but are going to get re-resurrected, but are going to resurrect wrong. Different. And so it literally just felt like a way of Hickman being like, I don't like how this character fits. I would like to put him in. And this character needs a new villain. So I would like to find a way to get a new villain in the fold. You know what I mean? Like it just... They always feel like a means to an end instead of like an active, like, quote unquote, changing the status quo like they always claim to be. Yeah. That said, they've been building this one for two years. I swear to God, if this isn't a significant change, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> I am I think that might be one of the reasons why I'm so unbelievably aggro about killing Sentry because the other character admittedly in the first issue a little spoiler sorry the other character that is in danger and actively could be taken out of the picture is Storm well and, and yeah and Doctor Strange gets and, consumed yeah the two you know? of them are both like non-existent at the end of the book yeah but they're not going to perma kill Strange and Storm and Sentry yeah if you're gonna permakill one of those three characters it's probably the one that nobody writes which is sentry yeah and that sucks for me because the last century run was awesome and i feel like he doesn't get the promotion he doesn't get the marketing behind it they don't put the money behind it to support the character which could be so appropriate in a currently like a way like woke quote unquote yeah or like like uh, society where we're more conscious of mental health and the way that those struggles work. He's such a good character to use right yeah. now. Yeah. And they just won't. Yeah. And I hate it. And so him, Kate's literally being like, I'm going to use this character to rip in half because somebody's got a perma die. That sucks. Sentry's always been kind of a problematic <laughs> character for them um, because it's hard to have a Superman type character when your world doesn't permit people of that kind of power level, like you're not in a world of Titans and you've seen them kind of like tweak people's power levels over time. Like Hulk has gotten stronger and stronger and now is immortal and Thor too. Thor is getting stronger and stronger and like kills Galactus and stuff. Thor's going to be the last surviving 
being like there's kind of a subtle whether intentional or just kind of the way this kind of stuff goes there's a subtle push to kind of like enhance like black panther is getting stronger and stronger and stronger as he gets involved in more things uh moon knight just had a big crossover with uh with the avengers like a big event in the avengers not a crossover just an event in the avengers run and it really showcased like how powerful moon knight is how powerful black panther is you know ghost rider is getting more and more powerful they're as time goes Storm by they're letting be a god yeah and so you see <clears throat> this like shift in power where they're hitting that like titan level but when you really look at like the difference between the dc superheroes and the marvel superheroes it's just like the dc superheroes are godlike they yeah. could like superman could punch the world out of orbit if he wanted to yeah if he felt like it and you know wonder woman could probably do the same and can beat the crap out of superman and has all this magic stuff and their magic in that world is considerably less restricted and is more like open and literally like ripping holes in other demonic realms and stuff like the that. devil just like comes and chills yeah. on earth and like and they have multiple devils and multiple and marvel does too but everything's <laughs> sort of constrained and governed by rules yeah it's very they really defined. put everything under the kind of the asgardian thing and various other sort of like spheres yeah. Um and handle everything by realms and whatnot. Um so Sentry's always been kind of a problematic thing for them, but honestly, you take this problematic character because his power level's too high, and then you kill him off, it really sets a precedence for what kind of power level Noel is. And good, but is this gonna be another one of those we get to issue six and they rapidly like, well, good thing we called Santa Claus. And then everything's done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know and that, I, mean? I think that's another thing that bothers me is because the implication here, too, is that despite the fact that Sentry has an ungodly amount of power and has often been considered one of the strongest beings in the Marvel Universe, they just, like, did away with him. But you know who's going to save the day is going to be Papa Thor. Yeah. And I'm like, at what point is this character too powerful to get any validity and have decent character development and have decent runs. But we can just keep making Papa Thor bigger and badder and more impressive and more world ending, power bending, yeah. universe destroying so that he can just take out whatever he wants whenever he wants. Well, that's the thing, that right? Like bothers me. Like the inverse of that is, yeah, like they killed off Sentry and fine. It's like he's always been like I, i've seen interviews and stuff where they talk about Sentry's kind of a problematic character because he just presents a power level that's hard to get up to but we currently have a hyperion rolling around yep who is effectively superman we have thor becoming more and more godlike he just killed galactus yeah. we have uh i mean hell hickman just invented what i consider to be one of the most godlike op powers in the world which is a mutant who can't lose like her mutant power is that she can't lose. Like, how is that not OP as fudge? <laughs> and uh, there was another one I was thinking of. Um, oh, shit. The Phoenix is coming back. Like, Phoenix is going to be, like, kicking around again. And it's just, like, you have all these, like, high-level, high-power things that you're... Oh, Starbrand is back. Like, the Starbrand is back. Um, oh, it's a baby, but I'm sure they'll find some sort of like time travel reason to get rid of that. Um, so I don't know. So I guess wrapping it up, wrapping it back. Those are all just me talking about my worries. 
King in Black, though, was really cool. It I'm excited to see all. It's got a bunch of tie-ins, as is one with Marvel, but they all seem really, really cool. And they're, you know, utilizing different characters. And it seems kind of spread all over the place. Like Black Panther seems to have some sort of play in all this. Black Cat? Black Cat has a new number one coming up, which is a King in Black tie-in. Um, Super random. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but hey, maybe it'll be a different writing team because I know you weren't happy with the writing team on the I really last hope one. It's not Jay again. Um, I can't. Uh, Spider Gwen is going to have an important role to play. Namor is going to have an important role to play. So there's uh, some really cool players coming into this. So I'm excited to see where it goes. And the first issue was really intense, but well done. And it does focus on Eddie Brock and his son. So for the Venom readers, it'll be really important for you to check out this book. That said, I just. It's been hype for two years. I've been burned before. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I've been burned plenty of time before with these things just not amounting to anything. And I think if Marvel's going to do anything big, if they're going to make any big decisions and any big changes to their universe. Now's this the is the time to do it. Yeah. And people will forgive it. And you know what you might have if you take somebody's favorite superhero off the map if you Grr. change the face <laughs> of some part of the marvel universe you might have people frustrated but they'll get over it they'll move past it i mean the last big hickman thing was secret wars and he got rid of the multiverse yeah he just said no more multiverse screw you it's done <laughs> it's given marvel the ability it again though it was another like means to an end because now marvel has the ability to kind of like do what disney's doing with star wars where they kind of drip feed in the ones that they like yeah you know what i mean and that's what disney did when they were like no more extended universe all this dark horse crap and tv shows and what books and all that doesn't ex it's stuff. not canon and everyone got oh my god but what i've been saying since the beginning is that they were going to use that to kind of like drip in the ones that they liked and sure enough we started to get some of that and it's worked because it makes you so much more excited when you realize that something's still canon and that's the thing is like a big change doesn't have to be a big change just for shock value you know captain america getting shot and killed wasn't just the shock of captain america getting shot and killed it caused ripples that allowed for writers to come in and fill that power gap to give other characters room and to kind of reshape things yeah you know, if you have a clay pot you're building and you don't like the way it's going or you want to do something new with it, you have to punch that clay back down and start again. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's good to have the put the toys away analogy, but maybe we do need to punch the clay now. You know, we haven't done a reboot in the Marvel Universe. I'm not saying do a reboot, but I am also saying do a freaking reboot. <laughs> um, not I'm just, saying, but not not saying. I mean, that would be that would be great. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people don't agree with me. Start everything back at number one. Give us new origins. Give us new characters. I don't care. It's time. You've got enough money. You've got more money than any other comic company right now. And you've got the backing of Disney. In the worst case scenario, you can just be like, F it, we're done. And just make money off of your movies and shit. You know what I mean? And Or just be like, just kidding. The way DC did yeah, after and, 52. Yeah, just <laughs> DC did it and they're fine. You know, Rebirth worked out for them and you can, you know, that works. So just try it. I'm Do just that. saying. But anyway, I just hope Noel and King and Black results in something. That's my big thing. Fair. This does definitely feel like a direct Marvel response to Death Metal and Dark Knight's Metal. It does. Like I'm getting like real like Dark Knight's Metal and Death Metal it is vibes. equally aggro. Like, you know. <laughs> 
the first issue comes you can get like your comic shop gets sent like a free packet of like temporary tattoos and there's a tattoo cover and it's all really like metal and edgelord even captain america is written very like yeah like hardcore aggro he's it's like a it's like captain america but instead of listening to ccr he listens to alex cooper (laughs) and it did it did kind of kick off the way that uh see i just imagine captain america listening to ccr and then like one day he like hears the actual lyrics to fortunate son and he's like oh god (laughs) right what have i been listening to he starts going through all of them and he's like all right this one's fine wait is this an anti-war metaphor no (laughs) um that's now my Somebody write that. Write that into a book where so Captain America makes a CCR reference and they're like, you know, they were like extremely anti-war and anti-military, right? And have him just like have an existential crisis. No! Um, but I, I definitely do think this is a direct response to death metal and stuff and t- how they're packaging it. But again, they've been prepping this for like two years. So, you yeah. know, who knows? Uh, but it's worth picking up. It seems like it's going to be a big one. No, on the other entirely opposite side of the spectrum oh and just just to clarify i know no and I'm, I'm going to apologize here i know this one's worth picking up it's probably gonna be a big one is the exact thing i said about empire i'm just now realizing that guys i'm so sorry empire was not a big one it was no. not a big one at all we were like- misled we were told it would bring changes you are lied to. and that the empire would rise and at the end, the villain was defeated by friendship, um, literal beams of friendship. Anyway, I, I'm sorry, but trust me, I'm getting different vibes about this one. <laughs> this one's really going to be the big one, guys. I know I seem like a really panicky weatherman right now where I'm like, it's the big one, but this one's going to be the big one. There's Now, in your defense, there is a big difference between Dan Slott and and Donny Cates, okay? Well, There's yeah. a very different yeah, with, mentality with there. With Empire, I guess I was just, I was hoping Al Ewing, who has done a lot of really big changes to characters, was going to really, was like, rope in, rope in some change here, Mm-mm. but um, didn't really happen. Anyway, King and Black feels different, and Donny Cates, like we've talked about in the past, does seem to have a little bit more free reign over at Marvel. Like I think Marvel's a bit more willing to give him the Alan Moore treatment and just be like, sure, do whatever you he want. He does feel like he's more of a ask for forgiveness than permission. Oops, I broke the toy. Yeah. Just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. They've, they've been giving him a lot of leeway on Venom stuff and various other things. So we'll see. I mean, they let him take Noel this far. So uh, they've put that much energy into it. So we'll see. Now, again, on the entire opposite side of the spectrum. Justice League and this winter. Yeah. So they've been hyping this one for a few months. This is supposed to be, I guess, the next event following up Death Metal, even though Death Metal's not over. I don't know if delays caused that or they just wanted to get it out of the way. But um, blah, blah, Justice League goes to an arctic place to help people blah blah giant ice man blah blah ice monsters blah blah the world covered in ice it's okay it's so generic <laughs> it's pretty generic oh god i was eye rolling the whole time i read it admittedly like there's a cute part where flash is trying to understand like work-life balance yeah and that's honestly the best part of the book 
Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be one of those crossovers that doesn't have its own. It's got like two standalone title issues. So it's got two Justice League, Endless Winter, number one and number two. Um, and then it spreads out throughout different character issues. So this is going to be one of those ones that if you're reading like, say, Flash and nothing else, you're going to have an Endless Winter tie in. I think the second issue of Endless Winter is in Flash. Um, and you might not understand what's going on, but whatevs. Um, so it's one of those to try to drum up sales amongst titles yeah. that they do from time to time. I don't know. I thought it could be cool. I, I did think doing like a, the world be cold now was an odd choice for a follow-up event from death metal. Death metal is so intense and reality warping and whatever the result of death metal is going to be is going to be like, have huge effects on the DC universe and whatnot. Um, and I actually believe that from DC. DC does a generally pretty good job of making their events mean something, yeah, especially not afraid to boil the pot, especially with the Scott Snyder stuff, especially with the metal stuff. Um, I mean, the last metal gave us all kinds of like changes in the multiverse and changes in, it gave us Perpetua and it gave us changes in Lex Luthor and well, it gave us way back in the day. They were like, Oh yeah. By the way, Dr. Manhattan just like messes with reality. Yeah. You're yeah, like, what? way back at Rebirth. <laughs> yeah, and it gave us the Batman Who Laughs and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, then they had, like, the Year of the Villain thing, which was really creative and a really interesting way to do events. Um, so I, I have high hopes for DC stuff. This one, though, I don't know. I think this is just going to be a toss-away kind of... We need to drum up sales amongst other things. Yeah. and then Because it's just like how... When you just got done fighting an evil version of Batman that has the ability to create his own worlds... How does a big frosty Viking really like? <laughs> it's so generic. And sure, he's like, like juiced up on Kryptonian energy, but like. <laughs> anyway, if you like, <laughs> it might be refreshing to some people. It wasn't bad if you like kind of Viking imagery. If you're a Black Adam fan, because he seems like he's gonna have a lot of a lot to do in this. Uh, it's worth checking out. Um, but it just, it didn't feel as like, I don't know, as monumental as some of the other events that we've it had going feel on. very important. Yeah. Now, next on the list is honestly my favorite book of the week. Dude, totally. You have to pick this book up, period. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ordering yeah. you to go pick up this book. Um, Fantastic Four Road Trip. It's a one shot. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, whom y'all know is my homie. And it is. I mean, I don't know. Is he our homie? He hasn't retweeted us. I need to retweet. Like some people I'm gonna have. I'm going to tag you, Mr. Cantwell. And if you would please. Like our homeboy, Rob Ryan North. It's true. If, if you would retweet us, it would mean a lot. Because I think you're my homie. Prove <laughs> that you're my homie. Prove that you're our homie. Prove that you're homie worthy. So this book is effectively... Um, the Fantastic Four family are going to go to the Grand Canyon for a family road trip. And, of course, Reed, in all of his obnoxious, self-centered glory, is like, I want to stop by this hole where there's alien stuff. <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, that's super fun for a family road trip. Great. Thanks, Dad. And it turns out they've been tricked and things get messed up there is body horror there is weird 
gooey mashups of humans. They end up all in a ball of flesh at one point. It is so jacked and terrifying and horrific and awesome and done and continuously like led like there is the most gruesome and graphic visuals meanwhile reed is so nonchalant about everything and everyone's kind of nonchalant about everything and it's this brilliant like tie and mix of like the bizarreness and campiness that is the Fantastic Four, plus their, like, meta-acknowledgement of how ridiculous and campy they are. They're, like, caricatures of themselves while mm-hmm. being fully meta-aware of being characters of themselves, yeah. which is such a Cantwell thing to do. And it makes me so angry because I want him to write the Fantastic Four yeah. from now on. It, it's, um... it's such awareness of the characters that I'm like, this is what this series needs. Yeah, yeah. It needs to get away from the traditionalization of the Fantastic Four and go this other super meta, super ridiculous direction. Yeah. Camwell does weird just so very well. So well. Um, he did uh the War of the Realms, the Punisher. Um, and it felt it had like a similar vibe where it was like the the people involved were just like, yep, this is about right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he does uh like there's just so many I've read from Cal like so many things I've read from Cowell lately that like are just so fun. Like, everything is one of my favorite books. I love everything. It's so good. Uh he did the most recent run of the mask. That was incredible. That was just really, really good. Um, and he just handles the like weird weird stuff happening and people kind of like brushing it off just so well. And I love it. Yeah. And it's in its own way, that sort of reaction to something like this from the fantastic four who have done and seen and done so much, you know what I mean? Uh, it makes sense that they would be like that. Mr. Fantastic would just be like, Oh, Hey, I'm melting. And the thing and Sue would be like, read what the F and would just be (laughs) like, what are you doing? Would be like badgeringly mad about it you know what i mean and it's it's just well it's so cool and it's it's just a nice little one-off of like body horror with this weird group of superheroes that you know or like you said it addresses their campiness perfectly and he writes right now two of the most well-developed character pieces for marvel because he's on doctor doom which has been one of the best depictions of Doom yeah. ever because it actually gives him some level of depth. Mm-hmm. Like, it understands both the depravity and this, like, humanistic need to be loved. And the new Iron Man, yeah. which has been such a, like, glorious redevelopment of this, like, super generic playboy character that now he's getting, like, shot down on Twitter. Like, He's just so good at understanding how characters can evolve and should be evolved in a more modern context. And I'm like, I need you to write these weird, these weird characters that need to be developed further, that need to evolve. He's good at evolving characters. And I feel like the Fantastic Four have been so desperately in need of evolution. Like, 
I'm not blatantly hating on the recent run of Fantastic Four, but what I read of it was literally, like, could have been from the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like they've grown or changed or developed at all. It just feels like, hey, this is how the Fantastic Four has always been written, and this is how we're going to keep writing them. And it's like, okay, great. That's boring. (laughs) So I just found out that Christopher Cantwell is attached to the Paper Girls TV show. Yeah, because he's a TV, he's a television writer. Coming to Amazon, so that's really exciting. Yeah, he's a television writer before comics. Yeah. Which is great, and I can't wait for that. It's going to be so good. He writes weird so good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited to get more out of Cantwell, and I would love for Marvel to just let him do, like, weird little one-shots for different characters. Yes. I think that would be great. Because so awesome. it was perfect. It was, it was a nice one-shot. It wasn't rushed or overly chaotic. It mm-hmm. was organized and it was small scope enough yep. to not need too much like exposition. It was just like, this is what happened. Oh, man. And it was so visually well done. Like it was so very well done. like so much was happening in the actual like visuals as well. It was just it was incredible. It was it was very, very good. This one's definitely worth picking up. And definitely it's a one shot. Okay. So you don't have to worry about yeah, dedicating you don't have to too commit long. to it. So just go yeah, get yeah. it. <laughs> Um, next up, this is another one that's been hyped for kind of a while, but it's not really an event. It's a 12 issue mini, um, 12 issues. I think this one's 12 issues. I think it's going to be a maxi series from DC. It's the Tom King's Batman and Catwoman. Um, so my understanding of this was that it was going to be the story Tom King wanted to tell about Batman and Catwoman following the whole City of Bane thing before he was taken off of Batman, replaced by uh, James Tinian. Right. Um, for whatever reason, who knows? I haven't really looked into too much why he got taken off, but they then shortly announced that he would be doing a Batman-Catwoman maxi-series to kind of wrap up their whole, like, story. Right. So presumably, you know, Catwoman's pregnant now. That's something we know from the books. Presumably this is going to result in their, like, at least for right now, kind of final decision on, like, should we be together? Should we not be together? Um, And where it goes from there. It's a time-spanning story that focuses on Catwoman when she was first starting out, uh, Catwoman now interacting with Batman, and Catwoman in the future. Having had a kid with Batman, having lived her life, she's now an old cat, uh, and she's off on a mission there. Uh, Aside from a few points when the structure of the book was a little difficult to follow, um, it was good. It was cool. It it was a nice Batman and Catwoman story. Um, I think there's a lot that Tom King wants to say about this, and I think he could do a good job diving into the more romantic elements of these two, as well as the more maternal elements of Selena. Um, it's got Clayman does a fantastic job with the artwork in there. Uh, he really, really did a good job, and it does a few big things. Like I said, aside from really like being Tom King's establishment of like this is their relationship. It also brings phantasm into the books, which phantasm, as far as I know, hasn't been in the real comics, like the real standard run of Batman. Hmm. Uh, it, they, 
debuted in the Mask of the Phantasm animated movie. So it was a Bruce Tem character. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> Bruce Tem, Paul Denny. Uh, I think they did that movie. I imagine they did. It was from the animated series, so I imagine they, they were involved. Um, Andrea Beaumont is the name of the lady who was the Phantasm. And they even reference the events of the Mask of the Phantasm in cool. this book. They talk about like... Catwoman makes a reference to like, didn't she don a mask and become a dangerous vigilante and stuff like that. Um, so Phantasm's officially going to be in the main continuity, which is really exciting for anybody who's a long running Batman animated series fan. Um, overall, not much happened in this book. Uh, there's some sort of like future interaction between. It seems to be like, honestly, it's weird <laughs> because I feel like from the first issue, I would more expect this to be called Catwoman Joker than mm -hmm. Catwoman, like than Batman Catwoman. Mm -hmm. Um, it was fairly light on the Batman Catwoman ness. Mm -hmm. That will probably change, but this one features a lot more Joker than I think I expected. And it, maybe it's just me talking, but after Joker War, Three Jokers, uh, you know, the fact that Death Metal is entirely about a Batman slash Joker. Um, I'm just kind of jokered out you guys. I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah. feeling a bit of the Joker fatigue. So the fact that the real like framing story of this Batman Catwoman uh, book is going to be Joker based I'm a little disappointed in that. Um, I would have liked it to be a bit more of a kind of a bottle piece just surrounding Catwoman and Batman kind of figuring themselves out. I think there's not enough of that in the world. There's not enough like, in the world of superhero comics, there's not enough like character pieces that focus on like drama. And the few that we have all come out of Tom King. You've got, <laughs> you know, Mr. Miracle, you've got strange adventures. So I really hoped that this one would be that again, you know, yeah. like strange adventures, is very low action. It's very like procedural and it's very drama. Yeah. Um, it's about the relationships and the nature of lying and things like that. Um, and I really kind of wanted that out of this. And it might still be that, but otherwise it feels like three more kind of standard Batman pieces told in a time frame, you know? Fair. Next on the list is Modoc Head Games number one. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the one that's written by Pat Oswalt, correct? It is, yeah. It is uh, at least co-written by Pat Oswalt um, and is supposed to somehow tie into his animated series that he's got coming up for yes. MODOK. So I really enjoy stories that utilize MODOK because he's such a bizarre character and I feel like he's one of those characters that was made as like a kooky villain in the beginning but like centered around like the weirdness of the times yeah. but has since evolved to be like this just absurd being that Marvel plays with and almost uses as like the butt of jokes. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, it's, it's almost like that Howard the Duck vibe. You know what I mean? Like we can do whatever we want because this character doesn't make sense. Yeah, to because who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this one seems like it's going to be really, really fun because for some reason, MODOK and all of his ridiculous villainy is now having strange dreams and flashbacks of a family that he's never had. And how <laughs> yeah. he's he's basically a computer program in a giant head in a giant tiny body. 
Yeah. I don't know <laughs> enough about Modoc's origin, admittedly. Like, there were a few references to it, and I don't know if they were, like, new references or if it's... Like, if they're rehashing Modoc's origin or if it's stuff that happened in older comics, I don't know. I honestly haven't ever read into Modoc that much because, like T said, Modoc's kind of just the butt of jokes. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, the Modoc boss fight in Ultimate Alliance, for instance, is a quiz show. <laughs> like, how are you supposed to read up on that, homie? <laughs> I know. You know? It's so funny. He's such a, like, I, I just love in modern times when characters that were written in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and were built to be these, like, weird, awkward things then become these, like, modern epitomes of postmodern ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. Like, how they keep randomly introducing Condiment King into different yeah. storylines yeah, yeah. just because you're like, that's dumb. I want to use that. <laughs> I think the difference is, you know... Something like Condiment King was created to be dumb. What I think I love about Modoc is that someone created that and was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is epic. And they were like, we'll call him Modoc. And I'm like, Modoc, what kind of name is that? And he's like panicking in the meeting. He's like, it um, it stands for something. And they're like, what's it stand for? And he's like, machine organism designed only for killing we love it we love it print it print it <laughs> in reality they were probably like what david what fine whatever we don't have any we don't, we don't have any month. time yeah let's give him <laughs> let's get modoc out to the people david um but yeah this stuck. one this one honestly like it wasn't as funny as i expected it to be or like absurd as i expected it to be and that was kind of refreshing because i feel like everything we've seen from modok modok pops up in something and it's like okay time for this to be silly i mean that was the redeeming factor in my opinion about the avengers game which if you haven't listened to our episode about that go check it out go check it out we'll wait powered gaming how was it loved it I didn't. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> one of the redeeming things about the Avengers game was that it gave us a reimagining of MODOK, who was intense and crazy and like really dark, and it worked. Um, but, you know, everything we've seen from MODOK, like we've seen MODOK popped up in the Gwenpool run, and he was a joke, and he popped up in Secret Avengers a long time ago, and he was a joke and uh west coast avengers west coast avengers and he was a joke and this a one still joke. has its humor like it still has humor and he's still kind of goofy there's one point where he like puts on a bunch of like uh like stolen weapons from different avengers and goes and fights people and it's really funny um but it wasn't as like absurd as i kind of went in expecting it to be yeah and i think that's cool i like that yeah i like that it's still funny and still kind of references how goofy modok is Especially with how much we've developed AIM over the years right. and how AIM is literally just a bunch of normal people now. Yep. And then floating head <laughs> with baby legs. And baby arms. 
You know, it's like a board of directors and they're like, okay, anyway, we need to hit the advertising budget. Uh, it looks like we're about $200 over this month. And th there's just a freaking head and <laughs> baby legs floating at the end of the thing being like, Modoc thinks we need to reach out to YouTube to sponsor ASM artist. You know what I mean? <laughs> How do you just have that? That's weird. It's great. That's weird. Aim is so weird. And um, I love it. But yeah, this one was cool, and it makes me excited for the show, I think. I, I've been excited for the show. I think it'll be really, really Yeah, good. there's definite awesome potential here. Um, I'm very excited for this next one. Uh, this is from that AWA company, the like artists, writers, and artisans, or whatever. Um, Awa. This is from Awa. <laughs> Not to be confused with the gas station. Wawa. Um, I don't know why I had to say that. <laughs> Um, they have the bomb sandwiches. It, oh. <laughs> mm. Um, this one is from a creator I love, um, absolutely love, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce his first name. I should have looked it up before I came in. Anyway, this is by Care Andrews, is what I've always called him. It's K A A R E Andrews. Um, it is called Erratic. And it's a really cool, refreshing take on the superhero genre. So the whole premise is that this gentleman, this young gentleman, high school age gentleman, young high school age gentleman, um, stop saying gentleman, um, <laughs> has the ability through means that we don't know yet uh, to do, to have super abilities. Uh, we don't know the extent of his super abilities yet either. Um he can have superpowers for 10 minutes at a time per yeah, day, per I day. think he said. So 10 minutes each day, he can do super heroic things. Um, there's some sort of past there. His mom is kind of a drunk and a little bit on the disappointing side. His dad disappeared. We're thinking because of governmental means or something. They have given a name to the whole like super people so like it's known that super people exist but they're kind of frowned upon um or they're controlled to some degree um it's cool it's it's a cool book and it's got a nice mix of like high school drama you know what i mean and like yeah. familial drama as well as like the actual superhero stuff i mean in the first book we don't get the superhero stuff until like the last i mean it opens with like a hint of it like this is happening in the future and then it's like one week earlier and then we see just like high school drama, weird high school drama. And I love it. There's like a ton of humor here and it's really delightful. Um, and then we get superhero stuff in the last like two pages. It really feels like a very solid YA title. Like it, it very much has the like needed vibes of like subtle humor, kind of self-awareness um realistic drama realistic behavior of the characters like yeah. they do things they don't fully like they aren't fully solidified in um caricatures but like they use caricatures enough so that you easily identify what the characters are supposed to be but then they're not afraid to like this person does something you don't expect them to do and i think that's really nice and i i appreciate that it it keeps you on your toes a little bit 
And I think that's the basis of like one of the really good YA novels. You know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. a really good YA title takes what you know and uses what you already know to de- develop the world and then spins it on its head so that you're you're engaged and committed to the story. And I think that's a really a really cool thing. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of YA comics kind of lean too heavily into the caricatures because mm-hmm. it means they don't have to do as much character development and they can lean more heavily into the plot. But I feel like this has that nice balance. Yeah. And this is the first kind of really approachable, not necessarily all ages, um, you know, because it is like high school drama and superhero stuff, but like approachable younger audience yeah. kind of book coming out of AWA. Um and honestly, the last thing I read from Kara Andrews was when he was doing the Renato Jones stuff. And that was so gore heavy uh, and violent and good. It was just so good. <laughs> it was so good. Renato Jones, check it out. It's amazing. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a refreshing, it's refreshingly different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's refreshingly different to see this artist and writer that I like, uh, that I really, really enjoy doing something like really different. And then also it's nice seeing like it's hard to create a new superhero. Yes. It's it's really hard to create a new superhero. Very hard. A superhero that feels fresh and interesting. You know, there's a reason that so many different super people exist at both these companies, you know, at Marvel and DC and even Image now. Um, there's a reason so many different superheroes exist there just kind of in the periphery because they're not, they're companies. They're not putting these characters out just because like, some dude wanted to write this character. They're hoping that the audience will latch onto this character and demand more of them. And then they've got a new hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's hard to get that. And it's hard to get that character feeling like fresh and different. And this one does. I like him. I like yeah, the kid. I like, too. I want to know his story. I want to know his powers. Um, I like his power set. I think that 10 minutes a day of being like near unstoppable powers is like really cool, you know, because it's about like, how do I do this? You know, what if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody getting mugged? Do I use my 10 minutes then? But then a UFO comes at 845 and I'm just got to sit here Useless. and do nothing. Um, so I think it's a that's a really cool touch. I, I really, really like that touch. Um, and I'm excited to see where that one goes. Me too. I think it looks really cool. Um, so last on our list is a new horror. Yeah. Sort of title. Yeah. Um, called Knock 'em Dead. It, um, from the first issue, it is about a stand-up comedian who's trying to break into stand-up comedy and ends up in a car accident and dies, but is alive, and he is existing without a heartbeat, and it is suspicious and confusing. But admittedly, not that much happened in this issue. Yeah, so a while back we talked about a book called Red Atlantis, um, which felt, I mean, more happened in that book than this book, but it felt, we mentioned how we weren't really sure, like we felt like there were multiple things going on and it was cool and interesting and we were like excited to see what happened next. But then we read like the, here's a preview of the next issue in the back of the book. And it mentioned like sci-fi and like supernatural abilities and like stuff like that. And we were like, what, where the hell was that? Like, so this, 
book kind of has the same problem. Mm-hmm. The the mention of what's going to happen next from this book is that effectively this, and this is spoilers, but whatever. This is the only thing I can tell you to let you know if you're interested in picking up this book. Um, is that this? these two guys get into a car accident. They're both stand-up comedians. One's a little bit more successful than the other one. Our main character is floundering, floundering, just crickets every time he tells a joke. And then finally he gets like one semi-decent set this guy gives him credit and is like, hey, you want to ride home? And he's like, sure. And they're like talking about how to make it in the business. And then they get into a car accident and they die. Um, the setup for the next book, and that's the entirety of the book. That's the entirety that's of the first that's issue. That's what happens. It ends with the car accident and this guy waking up in the hospital, even though he doesn't have a heartbeat. And he's like, where am I? Um, the setup for the next issue is that the ghost of one of the stand-up comedians is going to be trapped inside the body of the other stand-up comedian <laughs> and is going to help that stand-up comedian write his material so that he can become a world-famous stand-up comedian. And that's a great concept. That's awesome. That's an incredible concept. And it's just a shame that none of that happened in the first issue. <laughs> Nothing. You know, happened. because if I didn't read the... The setup for issue number two. Which I, w- I didn't. <laughs> I don't know if I would be really that interested in continuing to read this series. I really wasn't. You would have lost <laughs> me on the first issue. So that's why, like, I wanted to bring this one up. Because I think it's a cool concept. And it it's not really like a horror title like I thought it was going to be. I guess it's more of like a comedy with horror elements. Yeah. And I think it could be really good. I'm a little bummed that the art that the writer chose to not actually write out jokes. I get it. Jokes are hard, um, but they just use like symbols and like vagities when it came yeah. to like the jokes. I, I would understand that if they because they did that when they were showing jokes from like. Little like cameo bits from like, quote unquote, real comedians, like they'd be watching comedian on TV and you could kind of make out like, oh, I think I know who that is. You yeah. know what I mean? And they do like a joke and it would just be like scribbles. And I get that, like not actively stealing other comedians jokes, but like we should be able to hear our guys joke, um, but we can't. Uh, So I thought that was a little bit of a disappointment. But, you know, first issue, all you have is some dude being bad at comedy, getting into a car accident, waking up. That's it. But the setup for what the series promises is so good yeah so it's just it's a bummer to me that none of that happened because even if it even if they had extended it a few pages and we got to see the ghost being trapped in this guy's and them developing the plan of like why don't you write my material you know what i mean or like them trying to rationalize how to live this way uh that would have been so much better but we didn't get that and so i wanted to bring this one up because i wanted to be like that's what it's going to be. Don't judge it by the first issue. <laughs> you know? So. No, I agree. I I judged it. And I didn't read the follow-up. And so when you were explaining to me what the next, the rest of the series is going to be about, I was like, oh, that's very different from what yeah. I thought. Yeah. I, I actually just assumed it was going to be some, like, undead dude trying to do yeah, comedy. Yeah, like, now he's and, a zombie. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, the shtick was gonna be like, I'm a zombie doing comedy, and, but that's not... Zomedy. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> they need, they needed hints. I yeah. think they needed more hints yeah, yeah. of what was gonna happen, but, you know, that's, hopefully the next issue is a little more explicit. <laughs> yeah. 
anyway, I think that's going to do it for us this evening Woo. or day or whenever you're listening to this. Um, if you want more Cover B, you can find us on our website, coverbpodcast.com, where we have all of our past episodes, including episodes of Powered Gaming, graphic novelties, um, all real extras, all sorts of things for review, books and movies and games and exciting things like that. And if you want... Uh, more news and fun things and fan art and stuff like that you can follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at Cover B Podcast yep um, and we will maybe have some we have in the works some uh, new episodes we've got some powered gaming and some graphic novelties eventually on the way and we will keep you posted on those so be sure to come back and check those out yes indeed otherwise thanks for hanging out with us Go pick up some books, and we'll see you on the next episode of Cover B. Bye. Bye.